How are you today, Jordan Bruno? Doing okay. How are you doing? Uh, I'm I'm okay. I was stayed up too late. Yeah, but there's an excuse for that because today is Tuesday, July fifth, which means that yesterday was Monday, July fourth. You are correct. Yes, uh, two hundred and um, forty-six years ago, our fathers brought forth on this continent. 13 free and independent nation states conceived in liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal. And now today we are engaged in a great civil war testing whether that nation or any nation so conceived and so dedicated can long endure. I'd slightly change that, (laughs) that address. I thought you were going to say that that uh, it was on July 4th that Thomas Jefferson published the most hateful document in human history. We quote that document often on this podcast. Yeah, I think uh, somebody quote, uh, I'm trying to remember now, somebody that I follow on Twitter posted like a quote from the declaration and Twitter censored it. (laughs) Said it was, uh, said it was, uh, um, what was the term that they like to use? Like, like sensitive Tr- trigger warning. Yeah, I like saw there they, was like a trigger they, warning. They put a they put a sensitive content warning on it. But uh, we we're you know our listeners know we know that these are crazy interesting clown times that we're living through, and it's it's funny on one hand and it's entertaining, but it's also really I think quite uh quite alarming some of the things that uh we're going through and experiencing and i uh, and we've talked a lot too about <laughs> what we can do to counter that or to prepare for different scenarios but yesterday was just a nice day to be with friends and family and we grilled meat real meat not bugs not bugs <laughs> we're not eating the bugs okay npr you can have the bugs. Is NPR pushing the bug eating thing? They are. Or uh, maybe it was PBS. I get those two. Uh, NPR, National Public Radio, PBS, Public Broadcasting System. Yeah. Let's see. It was, um, this was from PBS, uh, their Nova program. They have a program called Nova. Yeah, I remember, remember that, that from when I used to have over-the-air television. And How do people get PBS now that they've stopped getting over-the-air TV? Maybe nobody does get PBS anymore. So you're just looking in to see what they're saying? Well, this was on Twitter. Oh. (laughs) The nature of... PBS is on Twitter. We're paying for that. (laughs) You're paying for those tweets. (laughs) Well, we're paying for Joe Biden's tweets, too. I'd like to talk to the person who writes those, but as well as the Utah coronavirus tweets, I would like to talk to the people who write those. But Nova... Nova Education has their own Twitter account, 
Mm-hmm. And they write, Learn how insects need fewer resources to produce the equivalent amount of meat compared to cattle raised for beef. That's not meat. Those are insects. We call meat right. meat because it comes from mammals. Well, and it, I, I, you've probably seen the... Um, You've probably seen the uh, the, the anti meat argument that um, a big silverback gorilla, right? These big powerful animals don't eat meat, right? But they're huge. They have big muscles, and 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 then look, they do it all without meat. They're vegetarians, right? It's like okay, but they also need to eat like thirty thousand billion tons of plant protein every day 30,000 billion give or take give or take a few to maintain their body weight and their mass so what you're saying is a gorilla like that is basically just eating all day that's that's what they do that's what they do that's what most foraging type animals do they're always eating they have to or they'll die because right like cattle do eat all day right or look at a you know a grizzly bear is always on the prowl you know digging grubs and berries and occasionally when I can't when he can the grizzly bear will eat meat this is probably not going to be a meat versus non-meat podcast today but it came up because you know yesterday was the fourth of july a lot of people grilling meats i don't think there's anybody out there grilling insect bricks maybe but we those weren't. people on the snowpiercer train were <laughs> The people at the back of the train. Yeah. Yeah. Did you ever see that movie? I've not. Every time the insect thing comes up, I think of that movie. I don't it's, wanna... got, it's got the famous Captain America guy, Chris Evans, in it. I don't want to eat bugs. And the famous uh, sophisticated villain, Ed Harris, <clears throat> in, yeah. an, in another Christoph type of a role. In this case, Ed Harris is the... Uh, inventor of the train the train that has to run around the world as fast as possible in the middle of a climate crisis a snow it, the whole the whole world has become a, a frozen wreck and there's only one remnant of humanity and they are on a train on tracks just <laughs> continually running back and forth around the world now who came up with that premise it's probably the most absurd premise for a, a, a crisis movie that there has ever been. There's a lot of, a lot of if you kind of take a step back from some of these disaster movies, the premise is always absurd, or there is no premise. They just throw you right into it, right? They just throw you right into the crisis. Like have you, uh, The Walking Dead and other zombie movies, they... they a lot of them conveniently just kind of gloss over whatever caused the zombie apocalypse and they just throw you into, well, they're zombies and so you need to accept that. And of course, uh, we do because we suspend our disbelief when we watch movies. I saw a movie with Ed Harris in it uh, just the other day. I saw the um, Top Gun Maverick. That's the new I Top hear that's Gun. really good. Did you yeah, like it? I enjoyed it. It was fun. It's just good Hollywood Good, Action, clean, fun. 1980s like, Hollywood throwback. And Ed, Ed Harris is in there and he... Oh, Ed Harris is in it. He, yeah, he has a small part. I won't spoil anything, but he, he um, 
kind of typical Ed Harris, stern, unforgiving. <laughs> um, but yeah, we we enjoyed it. I mean, it's Top Gun, right? And I think that uh, they did a great job capturing the um, kind of the spirit of the first one too. I lo- I loved the first one when I was a kid. Um, I think most people our age in our age group uh, probably loved it too. It was a big time movie back then. I think it was originally came out in. 86 is that right and so they they um it's a good uh it's a good uh uh follow-up is it I, uh, i'll spoil one thing there's 1986 you're right i'll spoil one thing there's military fighter jets there are no f-14s in the new top gun are there no spoilers is it set in present day yeah, I think so. But Tom Cruise does not come out as a woman in the movie. <laughs> he does not claim to be a woman. No. Correct? No. In fact, okay, it's, good. It's, it's, it was kind of funny. They, uh, you know, there's an enemy. I don't think this is spoilery if you haven't seen it. I went to the... There's an enemy in the film, but the film... Is it Russia? Well, the film goes to great lengths to not identify the enemy. Really? There's just an enemy, and it could be Russia, it could be Iran, it could be Afghanistan, it could be Canada. It could so it's kind of like... Um, it could be uh, Montana. Like, <laughs> is it kind of like the the uh, remake of Red Dawn, where they switched midstream from China to North Korea? Uh, no, because again, they don't they don't identify. There's it. no there's nothing there's nothing that even implies. Is it possible where that, this enemy is? Is it possible that uh, the enemy was space aliens? It's possible, but unlikely, because you do see the enemy. What what type of jets are they flying? <clears throat> I don't want to spoil anything. Alien type of jets? Well, there's one that they they call the Millennial Millennial Falcon. The Millennial Falcon. The the the, the, the Millennial the, Falcon is a ship that all millennials will be boarding fairly the, the, soon, and they will leave this solar system forever, leaving us all in peace. Except the millennials made it, and so it won't work. Oh, the millennials made the Falcon. <laughs> Anyway, uh, you should go see it, especially if you like planes. And I hear it's good to see in the theaters because it's like really got great sound and stuff. Yeah, lots of sound and rumbling and big, you know, sweeping vistas. The cinematography was great. Um, Tom Cruise is Tom Cruise, you know. So, so yeah. you you were kind of a, in. Uh, alluding to the Millennium Falcon. Yeah, there's the Millennium Falcon. That's a real. Uh, space aircraft spaceship real it is real real it is real it was i've yeah. seen it i've been on it yeah it was made for the movie star wars right well it wasn't no no they built that for star wars no it was han solo's smuggling ship there's no movie involved oh okay Just with that historical figure han solo so we didn't design it <laughs> The Corellian <laughs> freighter, famously called the Millennium Falcon, fastest ship, able to make the Kessel Run in 
How fast? Uh, 12 what? parsecs or something. something? Yeah. It's kind of funny how, uh, well, anyway, keep those things in the back of your mind when you go see <laughs> Top Gun Maverick. The Kessel Run was a 20 parsec route used by smugglers to move glitter stem spice from Kessel to an area south of the Sea Clotta Cluster without getting caught by the Imperial ships. How fast? How fast did the Millennium Falcon? I don't know. I don't know. Do like the pro- Kessel probably, Run? Probably 80 miles per hour. 12 parsecs. I was right. Less than 12 parsecs. Nice. What's a parsec? It's, Google uh, knows the answer to all these questions. <laughs> I'm sure a lot of that stuff was retconned, and they were like, after the movie came out, they were like, people are asking us what a parsec is, and George Lucas is like, it's a made-up, it's made up. It's a unit of distance used in astronomy equal to about 3.26 light years. Or maybe it is real. One parsec corresponds to the distance at which the mean radius of the Earth's orbit subtends an angle of one second of arc. Mm. That's what a parsec is. Did you uh, finish Stranger Things? No. I am to episode, the start of episode eight? How many, how many is there in the second, or in the last season? Last as in this very last, like season four? Season four. I think there's eight-ish, and then there's the, then just the other day, two kind of big finales came out, and I have not seen those yet. Okay, so I haven't seen them. I think we're right to the start of that one. So I've got here that there are 35 episodes on, according to Imdaba, imdbuck.com and we have gotten to we saw seven which explained sort of the origin story of L Mm -hmm. also known as eleven and we have eight and nine left so it looks like nine is a long episode yeah I think both of the new the part two are quite long I haven't seen those yet I need to watch them that's on my list of time wasters this week. You consider that to be a time waster? Well, no, but... So Stranger <laughs> Things is really interesting. Uh, I thought it was a kid's show because my kids were watching it. <laughs> and uh, turns out it's not for children. Just let me throw that out there for you parents, adults, whoever, that are thinking about letting your kids watch this. I would say it's PG thirteen at a at um yeah at best it could be even a little more scary than PG thirteen. It's scary. That's the thing. It's scary, and it's like the um, special effects are definitely modern. So you're dealing with some pretty nasty, like especially well, like right from the start, the monster's pretty scary. The monsters get pretty scary. The the what would you call it the blob monster in season three is pretty scary it's definitely dark at times and then season four is really dark the the bad guy in season four is pretty like scary i keep using that word yeah scary it's a thriller it's not like a it's not quite like it's on the verge of a horror film 
And right. I'm not a fan of horror movies. Me neither. This is a this is like on the edge between thriller and horror and it's it walks that line pretty well, I think. There's a lot of blood in it too. Yeah. So I'm I'm trying to figure this out. I'm trying I think there's a there are two when you get into this archetypal cinema and what I mean by that is storytelling that uses the old archetypes the archetypes that relate to the hero's journey which we've talked about a lot and that relate to the war and and the battle between light and darkness that's going on in this world and and the archetypes or symbols that relate to creation and the gods and the end times that's that's a That's a an arena of some very defined symbols, right? There's there's like a set of esoteric, and by esoteric I mean hidden. So this would be the definitions or the meanings of the symbols, right? There's a there's a set of definitions or a set of meanings or understanding that has been taught throughout the ages in various cultures ancient cultures in in their mythology in their stories you know there's there's been a there's been a set of understanding that's kind of come through throughout the ages that is is fairly defined and it and it gets inverted in some cases and it gets uh portrayed in a correct light in some cases right and so but what 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 we get i think when we have um, storytelling in in our modern era here that is actually using those archetypes, you get either you get either an inversion or a, a, the inversions are more recent. Most of the older stuff, like pre Top Gun, the first time around, <laughs> pre Turn of the Millennium. In fact, I think Harry Potter was the last great allegory told using the correct understanding. And simultaneously, you had the the Great Inversion, which is the Avengers series. Um, so you get you get two types of literature, that, and and there are those that know something and that don't. It took me a long time to get to that, didn't it? <laughs> there are people who know something, and that there are people that don't. People who are intentionally trying to say something, and people who are just spouting off echoes because it's resonant. Okay, there, most of the literature, I think, is uh, an echo or, yeah, I guess I shouldn't say that. I shouldn't say most of it. A lot of the Disney stuff seemed to be intentionally in line with the, with the archetypes. It seemed like Pinocchio, for example, a great allegory. Uh, but, but they basically stole the grim fairy tales, too. Like right. Cinderella, great allegory. Uh, Sleeping Beauty, great allegory. You know, The Little Mermaid. All There's tons and tons of stuff in Disney right up until the 90s or the 2000s whatever you want to somewhere in there they they flipped right and so it's hard to say who has who is just telling echoes and who actually knows something and that's that's i think an interesting discussion so so the problem is that right around the year 2012 when we busted into this new age now, that's debated. Some scholars would like to say we're still in the age of Pisces for another 
500 years or whatever. But I would say, look, you, you got to kind of go based on the ancient world and you have to look into the eastern sky and see if you can, you know, which is the most, is there still a prominent and enough, is there still enough of Pisces there at the sunrise that you would want to say we're still in Pisces? I think we're in Aquarius. And I think that's what we've been, people have been talking about this since the 70s, that we're, we're switching from Pisces to Aquarius. And that mm-hmm. the big date, the big date that the ancients were looking for was, 2012 it was the mayan calendar you know there's there there's there's a point where you've come into the new age and the and really the 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 constellation behind the sun at sunrise on the vernal equinox so the spring equinox is aquarius right he's either the water bringer or the fire bringer <laughs> Depending on how you look at the fi- the waters. So far, he's bringing the heat. Yeah. So so anyway, um, right when we switched over that, it seems like all uh, sanity went out the window in movie making, and they just started to do this woke social justice crap. And the movies, can I say this on the podcast? A lot of them really suck. Like they yeah. just are not good stories. They they break the archetypes. And they, they not only are they in, appear to intentionally invert some of the stuff, but they, they just aren't good stories. It's like, you know, it's like Luke Skywalker versus uh, Rey in Star yeah, Wars. Yeah. She just automatically is the greatest Jedi ever, which is no story at all. There yeah, is no story there. She's folks. the same person at the end of the trilogy that she is at the, when you meet her in the beginning. Right. There's no hero's journey. But the first movie is interesting because they have to find the star chart. They have to follow the star chart in the sky or in the in the cosmos. They have to they have to go from point A to point B to find the great guru at the primordial mound. I mean, they've got they've got all that stuff. But is it is it uh, are those just echoes? Yeah, I think they're. I think they're kind of just echoes or, or there's somebody over there that knows something, but well, n- doesn't know it well enough to tell a good enough story. Like the Avengers guys, those guys, they're the masters of inversion. Their stuff right. is excellent. Like these guys, the star Wars guys don't hold a candle to Marvel studios and the way they told those stories and the patience that they had to tell, <clears throat> to tell that thing over 20 some odd movies and now they've 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 run their course and now they're just kind of i mean there's spin-off tv series that they, they just are they've they've fully inverted it and now they're adrift like i didn't even watch eternals that was it was mm-hmm. uh, i heard it was um and some of our listeners are gonna be mad at me because they've been telling me to watch eternals and, and they've even done write-ups on it and sent them to me it's a sort of an inversion of the enuma elish the babylonian um creation myth but, well, not sort of. It is a very intentional inversion of that. And I can see that from the b- basic research I've done. But it's just not good because they're, it's like, it's like, they, it's like they, won, they won the mines and now it's like they're out to pasture. It's like everything, it's like the Beatles after a while. It was like they could, they could make any music they wanted and everybody was lapping it up. Mm-hmm. That's where the Marvel Studios guys are at. But Star Wars just bombed. Sorry, uh, Dimitri out there. If you're still yeah, listening, I don't it, think he is. It was, uh, <clears throat> it was too bad. Because um, Ray was... My monologue what, is over. They, 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 the, the Disney Star Wars people prioritized 
kind of modern, this modern idea that you can't have a woman struggle <laughs> because that would, uh, that would imply that women struggle. And so there's no hero's journey. There's no learning. There's no wise and helpful guide. Not only that, they... That, offers any guidance the now the the man in the in the great stories the man gets sacrificed or destroyed he has to go through the ritual combat right the woman has certain roles but the man has has to pay the price right he has to he has to sacrifice and one of those shows i forget which one it was the last jedi uh or it's the one right after the force awakens see that's how immemorable they were non-memorable but the the women like the men are running around acting like idiots and the women are the ones that look like they have it all together. They're the commanders of the ships. That's Leia's the general, mm-hmm. Ray's the Jedi. Mm-hmm. And then you got uh, the, bl- the black dude. What's his name? The, uh, the, the stormtrooper. Yeah. I, that, again, this is how... There's Poe Dameron. That's the guy I can remember. He's Poe and then his name is he's the a, num- a number... That they abbreviate to something. This is how immemorable. These are the guys, you know. These characters. These are, are the guys in the movie, and they they all try to sacrifice. These men try to sacrifice themselves for the greater good, or for the women, or for the people, or whatever. And the girls yank those sacrifices out from under them and don't allow them to play the roles that archetypally they want right. to play. That they that are supposed to be part of their journey. Well, and then not only that, but these idiots at Disney decided to kill off the most iconic characters in the franchise. Han Solo. And Luke. Trying to remember, when does he get killed off? He sort of He Jedi's himself. Yeah, and it's... Oh, yeah, right there when they're all trying to make their sacrifices, he he crosses over. I can't even remember. It it's, was terrible. It's, there it's are a people. Shame. There are people who know, and people who there are people who know, and people who don't. And then there are people who are trying to invert the archetypes. And here you have with Star Wars, like some. It appears to be some understanding, but a terrible, terrible set of storytelling. Sto- I, I, okay, I probably shouldn't impugn the storytellers. It's terrible storytelling. Go back to the drawing board. Try to do it better. There's a whole movement on the internet um, of people that uh, spend all their days talking about this kind of stuff. They have podcasts. They have uh, blogs. About uh, how bad Star Wars is? Well, just Star, Star Wars, yes, but just storytelling and movie making in general. A good hotspot for that is the, I think we've mentioned this before, but is a, a YouTube channel called Nerdrotic. Um, but they they've kind of spouted started not spouted started a movement that is known as the fandom menace. <laughs> fandom, <laughs> as in like you know a fandom, like we are the fandom of this franchise or whatever, and uh, uh, it's pretty good, pretty good place to go because they're not just whining complaining. They'll break stuff down and be like, "This is bad storytelling, and this is why because there's it's." these elements like you've just talked about these elements of archetypes don't exist or they're not fleshed out or whatever right well now there's a lot of literature out there that doesn't seem to really care much about the archetypes it's not trying to tell a story it's just trying to be 
interesting. And remember, we're talking about this because of Stranger Things. I, the point is, I'm trying to figure out Stranger Things. It's very compelling. Excellent storytelling. Excellent. Really good. You watch these kids grow up. That's right. the whole point. They're getting older. They're going. Th- That's what's so great about juvenile literature or, ki- or stories involving kids is because they have to grow up. Right. And of course, Ray doesn't. She's uh, she's uh, the breadwinner right at the start. Yeah, Ray. She's a she's a super engineer. <laughs> Ray. She's. We meet Ray on a desert planet. Desert planet, right? Very Luke Skywalker esque. Except she's not got no parents. She's an indentured servant or slave, whatever you want to say. But somehow. She's a. She can fight with with staves and nunchucks and bow swords staff. and bow staffs and and she she's can also fly. Skills. She can fly any ship. She has computer hacking skills. She <laughs> nunchuck she's, skills. She's Napoleon Dynamite. But somehow she. How do, how does a slave girl on a on a junk planet learn how to fly? She has the force. Okay, fine. But it needs refinement and. Training, it's right? as if special effects killed all the good storytelling in, in a lot of ways. Because, like Luke, when you can't, he, no, no, when no. Luke, when Luke went for the lightsaber in the ice cave, mm. that was epic. It's like, right. is it? It's moving. But what, what is going on there? Use did, the force, he, Luke. He did that after, after a lot of struggle and training, and we see him struggle and train and learn little by little. Ray. In the first 10 minutes of the film is flying the rusty old Millennium Falcon through canyons and underneath whatever. You know, she's dodging TIE fighters. She's and, uh, pod racing. Yeah. And it's like, you're not, you're not a pilot. What's her lineage? Does she even have a lineage? Is she somehow... Uh, born into the Skywalker family? No, you don't remember. No, I don't remember what happened. It's so not memorable. It, you're right. It Sorry, isn't. Dimitri. I I know your family is deeply. <laughs> well, we're gonna spoil something. We're in... gonna spoil something, and it's okay. These are old movies nowadays. If you haven't seen them, eh, you probably won't see them. I remember the whole dyad in the force thing with she. The, but where, where where's her? She is a Palpatine. She's a Palpatine, okay. But at the end of the last movie, she's like, I am Rey Skywalker. And you're like, no, no, you're not. You can't just change your name and then... It's just bad. It's so bad. It's a shame because I think... They think that they were close. They were close to making some good films there. But they let... and I. Kathleen Kennedy, I think that's her name. She heads this all up. Is that her name? I don't know. Don't she, care. She's like the executive producer or whatever, the George Lucas of Disney Star Wars Star Wars. And it's just it is it just it isn't good storytelling. She's they, a palpatine. And at the end she ends up on this planet where it's like the super bad planet. Where where uh, star destroyers grow. Yeah, and that was so dumb because where did all that come from? Where does the manpower come from? And nobody notices that. No, it's a secret planet. Yeah, but you still got to have people. I don't know what. There's millions of no, people. No, you just have a bunch of Sith Lords in the shadows forming that out of the force. <clears throat> it That's was bizarro. The- and then they did the whole, they, they, okay, we don't have really good love stories anymore. Okay. 
This is a problem. Where are the, where is the epic love story? Bobby Flood, tell me great love story movie that you've recently seen that came out recently. Um, Napoleon Dynamite. That's not very recent. <laughs> Napoleon Dynamite. Um, Napoleon, I, I, when was, I, what year was Napoleon Dynamite? That was a long time uh, ago. Napoleon, Napoleon Dynamite was like 2001 or something. It, 2004. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know. I think you're... I don't think... I think the movies today... Um, it's sort of the video game problem. And let me explain. So computer technology today is as advanced as it's ever been. Now, that's a little trick statement, right? Because that's always true. <laughs> it's always we true. We're always at the height of our, of our existence, aren't we? But, you know, 20 years ago, um, 20 years ago, people were playing like these MMORPGs like EverQuest and... You better yeah. stop and define your acronyms for our um, MMO, uninformed uh, uh, listeners. MM, That's like, like two or three of you guys. MMO, Massively Multiplayer Online RPG, role-playing game. Okay. It's massive, it's a clunky thing. Most of the time nowadays, they're just known as MMOs. But Massively Multiplayer Online Role-Playing Game. This is a game like, like World of Warcraft, EverQuest. There's others. But those are the two probably the layman has heard of. <clears throat> but when these games kind of peaked in their popularity, the internet was still, uh, you know, the internet connections were slower. The graphics were more simple, right? <laughs> the graphics card, the programming languages, just everything was more simple. You know, video games even 10, 15 years ago. But you look at it now, and it's like they can build these incredibly immersive worlds with dynamic everything, and these games aren't, they're they've out tool, there. They've tooled up. They've got all the tools to tell the stories. And, and the games are out there, and there's some good ones, but they're, the, they're not as popular as they used to be. And it's a shame. It's like, oh, man, imagine if the great games coincided with this technological explosion. Well, movies are kind of the same way. It's like they the stuff they can do in movies now, it's, you used to, you would see a, 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 a CGI scene in a movie and go, well, that's CGI. You can tell the movement's a little herky-jerky or now it's really hard to know. Yeah. <laughs> and so the, the, the visual effects in movies, the sound effects, the theaters, the, even the home theater systems, the, Delivery systems, everything is streamlined and high quality. And the stories are terrible. The stories are just bad. Like the last great love story, I, I'm trying to think. Like, I'm not a big, like, rom com, rom com, rom romantic comedy. I mean, I watch a few of them here and there, but I don't think those are. That's not probably what you're talking about, is it? Like when you say like a, the, a big epic love story, you're talking about something like, I don't know, what, what, what's, what's a great quintessential standard? Well, you have Romeo and Juliet. Yeah. And that's you been, have, that's been par you know, uh, uh, copied and parodied and yeah. you have, a million times. Um, Odysseus and uh, Penelope, right? From I mean, this goes way back. 
Right. But as far as like... You have... You have you have some big movies that have love stories in them, what, like what, Lord of the Rings. Well, yeah, but what about like yeah? Okay, so that's that's the uh, that's uh, an archetypal epic there between Aragon and um, our uh, is it Aragorn, 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 and, and uh, Liv Tyler. <laughs> I wanna, Who wouldn't want to have an epic <laughs> love story with Liv Tyler? I want to. Uh, her say, name is. I uh, want to say Arwen, but that was the other lady, wasn't it? Um, man, my uh, I used to know Lord of the Rings inside and out. It's been a while. Since Arwen, I've yeah, you're right. Spent time with it. Yeah, so so you've got that one. Like Han Solo and Leia is a pretty good epic love story. Mm-hmm. So what are we going to talk about today? Movies. We're going to talk about oh, movies. We're going to okay. talk about the sad state of cinema, don't you think? I'm enjoying yeah. this conversation. Well, think about think about. It used to be. I mean, there was another there was another shooting, another public shooting over the weekend by a leftist. Let's run through the news again. <laughs> okay, public shooting, high inflation, Russia's bad. Um, inflation's good. Democrats are wrecking the country. Sorry, yeah, status. Uh, it's not Democrats. It's status. Yeah, I can't. I, status are wrecking the country. Because Joe Biden has the lowest approval rating ever. Mitt Romney, who who uh, we know and love very well, I think the best thing we could do is just never ever talk about Mitt Romney again. Just like pretend he doesn't <laughs> exist. I mean, because that guy he thrives on you paying attention to him. He published an op-ed yesterday on Independence Day in the Atlantic, just really saying if you don't love Joe Biden, then you're a communist. Basically, I paraphrasing. Whoa, whoa. whoa. He published this in the middle of the ocean? No, the, the magazine, not the <laughs> oh, ocean. Not the ocean, okay. <laughs> I, it, uh, it probably, we just reversed the quote. It probably belongs... In the middle of the in ocean? In the middle of the ocean, along with Romney. Just put him out there, set him adrift. But, yeah, I, I think we should talk about movies because... Is this America is in denial? Yeah. Too I, many Americans are blithely dismissing, dismissing threats that could prove cataclysmic by Mitt Romney who also has a lisp. Mitt Romney is a Republican senator from Utah, hopefully not for long. Um, okay, so this is... I'm not even going to get through it. I'll I didn't link even... It, I'll link it for the listener's sake if you really want to go there, but don't. I didn't, I didn't read much of it. It was just like, come on. Blather. Come, just give me a break. Just We're going to get back to talking about movies, I hope, here pretty soon. Let's just go back to it right now. The well, current, what events, a, what a, current events. Current not, events. Not a whole lot. Just a lot of bad news. A lot of inflation. A lot of Orwellian, um, you know, the, the new White House spokesperson, I don't remember her name, Jean-Pierre, Jean-Pierre, I don't know. She was saying, like, like no, we're, there, this isn't bad. The economy's not bad. We're, we're, what was the term she used? It's like, we're transitioning to a period of growth or something like that. It's like, it's like guys, we aren't. We might be stupid. The people might be stupid. We aren't that stupid. And one thing that Americans of all stripes respond to is their income and their money not going as far as it did just a little while ago. We all know, okay, whether you're rich, poor, somewhere in between, buying groceries, buying gas, buying anything, 
is harder and harder and harder for everybody because everything costs more. And not only that, but everything's harder to get. And so everyone, everybody is noticing, and we all know you're full of crap when you try to spin it. Biden is scolding the, he's scolding the oil companies. You stop charging so much. You need to charge what you pay for gas. It's like, well, then the, those companies go away then because they have to earn money to it and then continue to produce product. But also, you don't just get to wag your finger and tell people how to run their businesses. Well, there's a conspiracy argument here that they're doing this for the oil companies. Who, who loves the war with Russia more than Exxon or Shell? Right. I mean, well, that's the, one of the, the theories. And, and by the way, remember, remember, go back to episode eight, hidden picture, Bush, Clinton, Bush, Clinton, Bush, Clinton, and then you get to, uh, well, so it went Bush. So Bush runs the White House for twelve years. Remember, Reagan was shot sixty nine days into the, his first presidency. Okay, mm-hmm. sixty nine days into it, and the guy that stood to gain the most from that ruled out an inside job within half an hour. How dare you? And then proceeded to. Uh, manage episodes like the Iran-Contra scandal. Okay, you got to go listen to episode eight because we go through this history of the secret combination in America, essentially the history of the last century. And uh, it's really interesting. So Bush runs the White House from 1980 to 1992. And then he sort of gives up on, in the middle of his, he's just won, this is George Herbert Walker Bush, former head of the CIA, you know, spymaster Bush, he gives up to this young up-and-coming Bill Clinton that, ever, that he hates. Everybody that's Republican hates Bill Clinton, except it turns out later that George Bush really likes Bill Clinton because they run around acting like chummy buddies, you know, and charity partners after they both leave office. Anyway, so, so he, he's won the Iraq War, the first Gulf War, and he's... The economy's just fine, and it's like, oh, the, we're going to have the media get behind this Clinton dude, the governor from Arkansas, his his partner, his 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 partner in crime, who was managing the influx of all that CIA, all those CIA drugs were landing in Arkansas and then spreading out to the rest of the country. Okay, episode eight, go check it out, or go watch American Made, another Tom Cruise movie, right, about the guy that flew all those drugs in. And they very they very carefully skip the Clintons. <laughs> I don't know how you can skip the Clintons. They mention them, and they mention them as if they're not imp- implicated in this Arkansas thing. The, the fact is the state police were involved. Who runs the state police? The governor. Anyway, okay. Uh, this is a big can of worms we could get off in. But it's easy to, to villainize the foot soldiers, right? The, the, yeah. the storm troopers. Well, the, in a way, the presidents of the United States are just the storm troopers. Right. They're, they're, the, they're the, uh, the officers, the lieutenants. Okay, so anyway, you got Bush running the White House f- from 90 to 92. So he had a 12-year stint. Then you got Clinton for eight years to 2000. Then, of course, <laughs> Al Gore was never in the cards. That poor guy just... And Hillary was never also. These, these two are like the uh, sorry, sad uh, C-3PO's of history. Right, right. They're the they're the comic relief, and uh, you get George W. Bush for another eight years, mm-hmm. and he gets to have a big war. Man, things changed under him. The, well, we are in the multiple wars that are still more, 
more stuff changed during uh, Bush two, really the, until recently, until the coronavirus well, episode. Well, the, the timeline changed. We were knocked off of our timeline. We we're now in a different timeline. We're in an alternative timeline <laughs> on nine eleven. I that, I really think that in a different universe, cosmic changes were made to our world on on nine eleven. Well, that corresponds with the twenty twelve. Right. Hap- this is right at the end of the age. Well, anyway, so you got you got nine eleven, but not only that, you had the great financial crisis of two thousand eight, right. where you had to do what to the free market to save it? Destroy it. Too big to fail or too big to jail? I mean, right. Yeah. Well, I think that that time period, I think for both Enron of us, Enron happened at that time. Was a the kind of a great awakening. Hurricane Rita. I was asked recently, when did you? When did you start to act this well, way, Bobby? Flood? Yeah. Well, it was kind of like, how did you? It was kind of funny. We were talking about Mitt Romney <laughs> with a lot of people. We were talking about movies. We promised to come back to movies. <laughs> we are going to talk about the great love stories next. But we were, I was in a conversation with a lot of people who were very into Mitt Romney back in 12. 12 is when he made his, when he was the nominee. But he ran in 08 as well and lost to McCain. He's always running for president. True. But someone said, how did you know? Because I, I got in some arguments back in those days saying, ah, Romney's not what we think he is. I'm like, eh. and a guy says, well, how did you kind of wake up earlier than all of us? And I, I just said, Ron Paul. Right. <laughs> Ron Paul. And, and, and also, too big to fail, save the free market, you got to destroy the free market, all of these things. Plus the, the I, when the, Wars, the post 9 11 wars started. I was like, yeah, let's go get these beeps, you know, let's yep. do this. And then I started thinking more about, like, wait a minute, like, okay, it's been a few years, nothing's really changing. And just a combination, that first 10 years of the 2000s was, I think, a period where people either bought all in or started to wake up. Yeah. It also was interesting to me that the anti-war left disappeared when Barack Obama ran for president. Right, and that's the second Clinton administration. Right. It was a ton of Clinton retreads running his, uh, running his administration. Right. Eric Holder was the number two under Janet Reno in the first Clinton administration. Right. Rahm Emanuel was their chief of staff. I mean, come on, wake up. Well, now in the Biden, I don't even know if it's an administration. And in, in whatever this Biden thing is, you have... It's Obama 3.0 or 2.0, however you want to define it. But it's, it's a lot of the same people. Yeah, it's, it's a Clinton thing. It's okay. the Clinton crime syndicate. It's the same people that own Ukraine or whatever, which is John McCain and uh, the Clintons or whoever, Lindsey okay. Graham. These we guys. have to bring up one more thing because it has to do with Ukraine. And, and then we'll get back to movies and we'll tie it all in. Okay, go ahead. Please, please. Okay, we have to Rescue we us. have to mention some local stuff. And we oh, talked, are you going to get to the David. We Levitt talked thing? about David Levitt before, right? Well, David that's Levitt. That's why we were on to Stranger Things. We're into Stranger Things because it turns out that our local secret combination, our local branch of the secret combination, is involved in ritualistic sacrifice and uh, or, sexual ritual or whatever, or at least uh, abuse, allegedly, abuse. allegedly, allegedly. We have to say that. <laughs> Why? So that we don't get canceled? <laughs> so we don't get sued. <laughs> but, 
Well, but, I just said the but, local branch of the secret combination. If, you, right. if they ask who it is, we can say, well, it's a well, secret. Well, this isn't an allegation. This is like from the horse's mouth, the horse being David Levitt. So the, the story gets more bizarre with this guy. First of all, last week was the primaries in Utah, the Republican primary, and David Levitt he was soundly defeated. Lost by 50 points as Utah County attorney. Um, Mike Lee won his uh, did primary he win challenge. Big? He did. Oh, good. He did. And now he'll face Evan McMullen, who is the, CIA operative. the, the most AstroTurf candidate in the history of AstroTurf. Do we, let, let's not get into this today, though, because we'll have plenty of time to talk about that. But David Levitt, okay, a quick refresher. He, was, he, he threw a, a, a fit when the Utah County Sheriff said, hey, we're investigating SRA. Please let us know if you have any experience or tips or anything with that, like that. He blows up and says, I'm not a cannibal. I don't sacrifice babies. I'm like, whoa, whoa. <laughs> well, the story gets weirder. This guy, this guy has some connections to a tribe of, you know, a Native American tribe in Montana. Right. And he went up there with the intention of bringing a baby home. Okay. He went up there to adopt a native baby. Well, you can't do that these days, right? That's like, yeah, there's the, there's some laws adopt. because it was really getting exploited. It probably still is. And the tribe says, no, you can't yeah, have there's her. There's some laws about not letting white families just indiscriminately. Well, it got bad. It got, there's some stories out there where it, it just, kids were being taken from unwilling parents, right? parents that were capable and willing to raise that kid mm -hmm. basically they were just having their kids stolen from them mm. well in this case i don't know all the details on what kind of home this child this baby was in but levitt says i, I want the baby the tribal council says no right now this is in this is on video him it's kind of smiling and talking about yeah, how smooth he was he's to telling pull this the off. story not thinking at any point in his head that it looks bad. This might be, this might be frowned upon. And then so he, he says, so they say no. The tribe says no. He comes back with, listen, I, I'm, I'm an important man. And by the way, this was on Fox 13. So you have to wonder what's going on because Fox 13, all these legacy outlets are bought and paid for. So they're, they're jettisoning low, maybe low level people there's, here. There's one, per, there's a, there's one reporter his name is uh, Herberts or something like that, who seems to have, he works for Fox 13. He seems to be interested in telling good stories and, and, and actually being an investigative journalist. What his long-term or overall agenda is, I don't know. But he's come hard at Herb, uh, uh, Levitt. Levitt. But see, that's a problem because it, Levitt might be the sacrificial lamb here. It's possible. But there's I a mean, lot he, of people involved in this, in my he, opinion. He lost the election by, it was, it was 70 to 20. It's like, like who can we find that's, that's uh, arrogant and naive enough sure. to, that we, and, and, and just incompetent, we can just jettison them. So Levitt Let's says... Let's all this stuff on them. Levitt says to the tribe, you know, hey, I'm a very important man. I, I, uh, I'm friends with Mr. Ukraine, 
the president of Ukraine. Now, this isn't Zelensky. This is uh, the other the, guy, the, the, the guy who was kicked out in the coup. Was it? I think so. Are we sure? We don't. I'm not sure. It was. We could look it up. The point is. But somehow, well, somehow. This is, this is funny because Fox 13 is showing this clip and he's talking about how he's like, hey, you know, the tribe didn't want to let us do the ad- adoption. But then I, 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 I said, you know, I'm, I've got connections in Ukraine and I could help you. Well, this is where it gets yeah. like comical. He's like, first of all, I don't like, how does the Utah County attorney become friends with the president of a foreign nation in Eastern Europe? I don't know. I'd like to know that story. But then he says, did you know, this is Levitt talking to the tribe, you know, did you know that Ukraine wants to have their very own buffalo herd? And the guy, and he's like, and you have buffalo and Ukraine doesn't. So I can arrange for you to sell buffalo to Ukraine in exchange for that baby. And he's smiling while he's saying this. And he, the, he doesn't quite say it that way, but... He's smiling. Like, and the oh. tribe goes for it. And so he goes home that day with the kid. But this is all him telling it. Yeah, this is him telling the story. And what's funny is Fox, Fox 13 plays this clip, and, and they're all in a huff about, well, you can't adopt. Look at this. He, he uses influence to adopt a Native American baby. And all the rest of us are like, Ukraine, Ukraine, Ukraine. Right. You let him mention Ukraine. <laughs> well, what's the, <laughs> what's the angle to the Clinton crime syndicate here? Yeah, why is Ukraine involved? Why does Ukraine want Buffalo? So I this Clinton was Clinton Bush crime. This was on Twitter, and so I, I replied. I said, uh, the, "My questions were not answered as of yet." By I Fox said, Thirteen. Yeah, I said, "Did Ukraine ever get the Buffalo?" And then I, my second question was, <laughs> "And where's this kid now? Like, is Levitt raising the kid? Like, where's the kid now? Because it's been a few years." But. He essentially traded Buffalo. He spent his political capital, his political influence to broker a deal where he was able to purchase a human being, a baby. Like, it's so bizarre. It's so, like, it's so, it's something out of a, a TV right. drama. Right. But Ukraine is linked to and, it. Yeah. And why? And that's and one why where, Ukraine. It's like we could sell Buffalo to anybody in the world, but he's talking, and this is years ago, about selling it into Ukraine. Yeah. Why does Ukraine want a Buffalo herd? And why Ukraine? And again, how is it that you, this Utah County guy, are buddies with the president of Ukraine? Well, it maybe has something to do with his older brother, uh, Michael Levitt, who was Health and Human Services. It probably does. Head and, a, and a bunch of bio labs. There's a bunch of, what, but, how many? 37 bio labs? Was it 27? I don't know. Yeah, so Tulsi Gabbard it, exposed that. If you happen to hear this, uh, Adam Herberts, Herberts, I, I, I don't remember your last name. I'm sorry if I'm butchering it. If you happen to hear this, I'm sure he will because who doesn't listen to the mind virus? I know most people do. You're on to something. Follow up. Take the Ukraine angle here. Forget the baby for now. Forget the buffalo. What is this Ukraine angle? Why is the Utah County attorney Utah County brokering deals with a foreign nation and a, an Indian tribe and also a foreign nation that just happens to be at the epicenter of all kinds of uh, uh, geopolitical corruption? 
what is going on? Yeah, see, we haven't we haven't done an episode yet with like a deep dive on all the crazy Ukrainian stuff. We just said watch Ukraine on fire, which hits the tip of the iceberg relative to the Maidan revolution. Maidan being this the central square where everybody came out to to protest. All right, here's how we tie it all in, right? Okay, get back to the movies. You've asked, you know, where are the great love stories, the great epics? I think that they are playing out right in front of us in real life. And it's uh, it's kind of interesting. We, we go to a movie. This is more dense than war and peace. We would, we would go to a, a, the theater and we would watch a film about a local attorney, a local corrupted attorney who was involved in all kinds of seedy deals and brokering behind, under the table, behind the scenes deals with terrorist groups or foreign nationals or foreign or governments. The mafia. The, mafia. the firm. Tom Cruise, the firm. And we would think, that's awesome. That's so cool. Man, and the good guys won. And then the next day, we wake up and, and we read a story about a local corrupted attorney who is brokering deals with terrorists or foreign nationals or the mafia or whatever. And we say, that's outlandish. That would never happen that's, in my state. That's, that's so absurd that the absurdity of it alone debunks the, any truth involved. Tragically mentally ill. <laughs> right. So some of these stories are playing out right in front of our faces. And maybe someday they could make some great movies out of our times. But is social media and TikTok and things like that, have they ruined our brains and our ability to sit still and absorb complex storytelling? Do we just need explosions and nudity? Is that all it is now? No, I think that people really are longing for the good stories. The good stories get recycled all the time, right? The, the, the archetypal stories get recycled. And I think like some of the discussion with my family over the weekend was that Tom, Tom Cruise and Top Gun was a great movie because it was back to the, to the great epic struggle yeah, apparently I mean, it, between an a, unnamed enemy and us. It's a simple story. It's a simple movie, but it's, it's, I don't think there's an overt agenda, like a political agenda other than maybe some patriotism. Right. But it's, it's, um, ultimately it's a redemption story. It's a, story about a guy who's screwed up in his life a little bit and has a chance to make right on it. So, yeah, the great, the great epics tend to be fairly simple. For example, uh, one of the great love stories is between uh, Paris of Troy and Helen of Troy, right? They call mm -hmm. her Helen of Troy. She wasn't actually... Um, of Troy until Paris brought her from Greece to Troy. I believe she was the wife of Menelaus, Agamemnon's brother. And of course, that she's the girl that's... That, that whole thing caused the Trojan War, which is mm -hmm. the, w one of the great epics, one of the foundational epics. Mm -hmm. If you don't know about the Iliad and the Odyssey, Homer's work, you probably should have read those. No. <laughs> no. That, yeah, should, that Homer? You should at least read about them. Yeah, that Homer. <laughs> um, yeah, there, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of literature, I think, that the kids haven't read. <clears throat> and that's why um, the state of 
literature today is suffering is because a lot of people haven't actually read the great epics that that our society is based upon. I saw one of our friends uh, sent me a Jordan Peterson talk recently. He was speaking. By the way, he just got banned from Twitter. Oh, Peterson got banned off of Twitter? Yeah. Will he get back on if Elon Musk consummates the deal? Maybe. Probably. He could get back on if he deletes the tweet. He made a YouTube statement so he's not he would rather die than read than delete the tweet. But Oh. <laughs> what was the tweet? He men, uh, men are not women. Basically, he he uh, well, we're interrupting your your uh, uh explanation of uh, western literature, but maybe we talk about well, no, that's okay. What what did he say? He he said something. I'm going to paraphrase the tweet. And we'll link to his video statement, assuming it's still up on YouTube. But he said, remember when pride was a sin? <laughs> and, and, and then said something to, along the lines of, and before Ellen Page had her breasts ripped off by a criminal doctor, something like that. And people... Ex- people went berserk because Ellen Page is now Elliot Page. Oh, is that the picture? Is this this is that this lady? Yeah. And she. Uh, what was she in? Well, she. I think she kind of made her debut in um, the movie with Michael Sarah, where he gets her pregnant. What is that movie called? Um, Juno. She's also in. Well, see, I'm going to get in trouble, right? Saying she. She, as Ellen Page, was in Umbrella Academy. I believe that's the name of the TV series. And now she's still in it, but as Elliot. And that's something that Jordan Peterson brings up in his statement. He's like, but at the time when she had her breasts removed, she was still Ellen. Like He's like, where, did, where is any of this how does any of this make sense? How are we supposed to talk about any of this? Anyway. Ellen Page. You can't find her on IMDb, so I'm going to have to look her up on her Elliot Page. Yeah, which is, again, bizarre because she is credited in those movies as Ellen Page. That's yeah, so her name. So it now says this is an actor, not an actress. And um, IMDb is going to bend over backwards to you know help erase the Oh, existence. she's in the X-Men. Yeah. That's one of the... Oh, Inception is the one I'm remembering her from. She's from Inception. But was she in those movies? Or was that Elliot playing a woman in those movies? Well, like, how, how do you talk the about this? All world's a stage. How do you talk about this in any meaningful way? And that's one of the things Jordan Peterson yeah, no talks kidding. about. So anyway, you saw a Jordan Peterson video. Well, his, the title of it was, you probably should have read the Bible. Mm-hmm. He's speaking to a Bible college. I'm kind of disappointed in him because he really doesn't do really well with the concept of God. He doesn't, he doesn't like def- <clears throat> defend this idea that, hey, you know what? The supernatural is real. And I think he's a very logical-minded person. He has and a, he's very, very based on principle, but... He has a long uh, series on biblical archetypes, and those are quite interesting. Yeah, but uh, see, the, the, the direction he always tends to go is that it's like, it's all sort of a... Um, it's not very Joseph Smithian. It's more like uh, very Gnostic. It's very, it's yeah. very Gnostic. It's very abstract. And that's okay. I don't think he is necessarily a believer. 
or he's maybe coming well, he would around say, on that. He would say, I act like I believe there's a God. Right. But I, I think there's a... a Which think, is a good point. I think he provides it an important perspective, and he's sort of a bridge <clears throat> between the, the secular and the spiritual. And the principles I think he talks about are spot on and important. And I don't like the term spot on. Why do, I don't want to use spot that. Spot on. I just hate when people say that. You can use the word accurate. But I just said it. Anyway, I, I like Jordan Peterson. I don't always agree with everything he says. I, uh, um, but I think he's an important voice. Yeah, I have a few. Uh, as I've tried to understand where he's at and, and explain my opinion, <clears throat> how it differs from wh- what he thinks, I've identified um, three points that I think are important about Jordan Peterson. Number one, I don't think that he believes in a God separate from ourselves, right? So th- there's sort of an Eastern or more New Age philosophy that, yeah, there is a supernatural, but we're all just connected, right? And so this gets to the idea of individuality, right? You and I are really the same. We're just parts of the same intelligence or the same great light that, you know, we're having a human experience. And after we um, pass on, we'll just go back to the light and join that great ball of fire in the sky and and be in a a state of nirvana. And this essentially negates the hero's journey. It's kind of like, it's kind of like Joseph Campbell's stuff. It's like, look, there is a hero's journey and he's the one that really talks about it. But his, his, he comes out later and he's like more interested in, you know, just finding, following your bliss, follow your heart, you know, do what, do what feels right to you rather than recognizing what he talks about a lot, which is the epic battle, the epic struggle between light and dark. And so, see, because, um, because Jordan Peterson and guys like this don't, acknowledge a separate God, a God that has his own identity, his own personality, someone like, in the, and this is the thing about all the ancient myths before monotheism, before, uh, before the apostate Jews destroyed the, Jew, destroyed the Hebrew religion about the time of Josiah, when the first temple was destroyed in 587. That marks the end of the first temple period. That marks the start of the Babylonian captivity. Lehi had to leave Jerusalem. Lots of things happened between 800 and 600 BC that destroyed the early religion, and the Jews then become sort of the focal point of Western civilization because of what we perceive Christianity as being. But Mormonism then becomes a restoration of something earlier because we are polytheistic, even though a lot of Mormons don't want to admit that. We Mm -hmm. believe in multiple gods, gods with separate, distinct personalities. And they'll, the, these, some of these scholars will, uh, Mormon scholars will, uh, or apologists will bend over backwards, go through mental contortions to try to say that we're monotheistic, that we're not polytheistic. We are, of course, uh, polytheistic. The, the accusation that Joseph was teaching the plurality of gods was the main thing that got him killed. It's the first accusation leveled against him in the one and only um, printing of the Nauvoo Expositor, the competing newspaper there in Nauvoo in 1844. Um, anyway, so plurality of gods, this is the restoration. That's, that's the thing that was really restored. That's, or one of the things, that's the, that's the very ancient concept, the idea that you and I are distinct individuals. Sure, we come from a, we're all enlightened and enlivened by the power from the father and the mother, but they are distinct individuals. They have unique personalities. They 
there's a sociality that exists in heaven similar to exists here. And you have a situation where Satan could fall from the highest level. Lucifer, as he was known, could fall and, and end up here. And, and he is the cause of evil, not the Father God. And we, we've been that, through that a little bit. There was, a, I think, a podcast we titled War uh, that, that had some interesting discussion on that. Maybe it's, a, maybe it's a, a line of reasoning that ought to be fleshed out in more detail. Maybe I'll have to write a book or something so we can exploit our, our huge listener base, sell them a book. Something like that. But anyway, uh, <laughs> I'm digressing here. The point is, Jordan Peterson, I don't, think, I don't think he sees it that way. I don't think he sees it as if the gods are like the Greek pantheon, where you have Zeus and mm-hmm. Hera and Apollo and uh, Mercury or whatever. Individuals in, in, the, in the Hebrew, it's Enoch. Enoch is uh, on a godly level. Now, remember, I'm not talking about the Jews. I'm talking about the Hebrews. They had the heavenly hosts. They had the El Shaddai. Shaddai meaning either a dual father-mother God or the God with breasts is one of the possible meanings of that. That you have the Asherah, which is the woman, and the, and the El Elyon, the great God of gods, the father. So there's, there's plenty of evidence that the Hebrews believed in a, in a plurality of gods. And if you want sources on that, besides Hugh Nibley, Margaret Barker, the great Methodist scholar, has uh, written a lot about that. Her book, Enoch, the Lost Prophet, and um, the Older Testament are good sources on that. There's a lot of good sources that she brings up. But the point is, so, so I, I think Jordan Peterson doesn't see the gods that way. He, he sees it as an amorphous force or something that we're all, it's very Eastern, very new age. And so therefore, the second point is that he does not recognize an abject or separate evil from us. That's a huge issue. This is the question of theodicy, the justice of God. Why would, and this is where Mormon, um, LDS, not Mormon, but LDS correlated teachings breaks down a little bit, is that we believe that God held a council in the heavens and that he just decided to put us into this hellish world, knowing that we would have to sin to go through it. He puts Eve in an unwinnable situation. He gives her her Kobayashi Maru moment, and she has to take the fruit, and therefore she's the great sinner and heroine at the same time. It's, it's a little bit messed up. In Joseph Smith's world, the issue is that Satan is the cause of evil, not Eve, okay? Even, right. though, he, even though he went along with those nursery tales, those, those garden stories. So anyway, real quick, getting, getting back to the point, if you, if you don't see God as separate from yourself, you can't see Satan as separate from yourself. And so therefore, all the good and all the evil is just trapped in you. This is very much a uh, Joseph Campbell type of a ism relative to the, right. to the mythology. And if you do that, then the third point relative to Jordan Peterson is you misunderstand the secret combination, the oligarchy, even though he sees it and he fights against it, he sees it in a certain way. He doesn't recognize it for how, how incredibly evil and how... Uh, multifaceted, how, I think, how deliberate it, that it really is. I think he may be coming around on that third point. Well, hopefully, be, hopefully that will lead him to understanding of the second and the first point. But I, I, I think you're right with this idea that stuff are within us. He, it's a theme he talks about a lot. Like the, every inside, every one of us is a monster capable of horrible evil. 
and 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 the whole trick is to try to control and overcome that. And yeah, I, but that's the that's the battle in this world. The, the point sure. is that that's not you. That if right. the, what the understanding I'm trying to point out is that that's Satan causing that. And in a, right. in, a, in a better world, you would only have your own opposition instead of a bunch of unseen quote temptation. But I think his message is, is resonating a lot because people. Uh, it ca- it's causing or helping people to realize that they can make changes within themselves to overcome these external forces, whether they recognize them or not, and recognize that inside you is, yes, the capability or the potential for tremendous evil, but also for tremendous good. Mm-hmm. And he, he, uh, he got, I think he's doing good things. He got banned off Twitter, but he did sign a deal with Daily Wire. The uh, news publication, the editorial journalistic conservative, and it's it's uh, his content is going to be behind a paywall. But he has a trailer out for something called Dragons, Monsters, and Men, and the trailer's compelling. And this is where he 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 touches on these themes, right? Like inside of all of you is a monster, and you have to learn how to control that monster and to overcome it. And it's it's fun stuff. I I love the uh, the theme and the kind of the archetype of the dragon slayer and and uh-huh. how all of us have these these dragons in our lives or these demons that we have to go out and slay. And then it's kind of like Quixote, you know, Don Quixote. That's the name, right? The guy who tilts at windmills. Yeah, you know, in his mind, he's fighting these great dragons. That's where that phrase that phrase comes from, right? You're tilting at windmills. What does that mean? It means you're on a something a fool's errand. You're doing something silly. Yeah, tilt meaning you're you joust. You're, you're jousting. Yeah, you're you're leaning into uh, the the windmill with your what would you call it? The lance. Yeah, on your horse, you're you're charging it. That's and and Quixote was delusional, right? That's the, I think I, I think there's. Quixote and all of us that we 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 should go after these delusions. Well, you have to be you have to win the battle inside for sure. Right. I, I think it's really good. It's good material, but you also need to realize that the the battle extends outside to other Absolutely. people. Other people who choose the um, the evil path are fighting against us in a real way, and there is a, there is always a sense of community. So it's not just an individual battle to be won, right? And the the problem about you know taking it all inside even though the battle does occur inside and you do hear the lord inside especially at first you know the kingdom of heaven being within us the the problem is that the savior is an external force so it, it he manifests himself through through you in certain ways but it is necessary that we um allow him in from it, it, it that's it's not part of our natural set of possibilities we naturally have uh the fallen world we naturally have the dragon within us but we don't naturally have the holy spirit right the natural man being an enemy to god and has been since the fall of adam and will be unless he puts off the natural man and yields to the enticings of the holy spirit and becomes a saint that's in one of the books and that's we get back to the great the great epic stories well that's because, why we gotta because we gotta the, know them the great heroes of our literature our movies our folklore overcome both right they overcome the demons inside and within and 
the demons without. You know, or they, in the they, case of Paris and Helen, uh, they get destroyed by the Greeks. Well, right, there's tragedies out there too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which leads to though, Aeneas, Aeneas leaves, he sneaks away from Troy and founds the, he's an Etruscan, he founds the Roman Empire. Right. Which is the, the story of the Aeneid. You have uh, other love stories like um, Cleopatra and Mark Antony, uh, and one that's often forgotten, Dante and Beatrice mm-hmm. in the Divine Comedy, which is interesting because Beatrice is sort of a heavenly woman, a wisdom figure that he has to uh, come in contact with. But anyway, there, what, oh, you've got the Gothic romance novels like Pride and Prejudice and Sense and Sensibility. You know, there's a lot of those. I, I think those, those form the basis of modern romance, which is a little bit goofed up in my opinion. Right. The, the rom- you mean the genre romance? Yeah, because it, it makes, I think it takes away from some of the epics. Well, right. It's stripped it down to its most base impulses. You know, if you're thinking about well, like the grocery store shelf romance novels and yeah, but I'm talking about more <clears throat> Jane Austen stuff. Uh huh. Right. Wuthering Heights. Who did that one? Um, Bronte. You got. Uh, some some of these lists I'm looking at, they list Midsummer Night's Dream, Dr. Zhivago. I've never seen that one. Have you seen Dr. Mm, Zhivago? No, no. <clears throat> one good thing, though, is that these classics, these, these books out there are generally available for free. A lot of the so-called classics. You, yeah. can, you can get them on your Kindle or wherever for free nowadays. So, so we've been kind of been uh, talking about epic love stories where the story is all about love. But what, what I was getting at earlier before we took our big tangent, it's a good thing we did a good big tangent because we always need a good tangent during the podcast or to start the podcast. Most of our whole entire episodes are just tangents. Kind of. But what, what, I, what I'm getting at is like most, most of the, you've got tragedies, right? And you've got comedies and, and there's a lot of other genres that have developed out of uh, modern literature and, and movies. Does, do, do movies, can we consider movies literature? When you say literature, do you have to qualify that and say literature and movies and music or modern media? Yeah, I, don't, I want I don't, a word that encapsulates think, all of it. I don't think it. movies are literature. I don't, I don't think we should go there. But maybe a modern entertainment. But there's stories. That's stories the way, for sure. Storytelling. Storytelling is wh- the way these ideas are conveyed. And, and, and music and movies are very, very powerful. Right. Stories are very powerful. Stories are very... Narratives rule us. That's what I would argue. Is that the narratives that we consume rule us. And those back in the day were... were um, so back in the ancient world, they were... These stories were told through an oral tradition, somebody would memorize the Iliad or the Odyssey and tell the whole thing. Uh, Dante's Commedia was a, a set of hymns or cantos, songs that I wouldn't guess they wouldn't call them hymns, but songs that were sung or chanted. Um, you, you don't get a lot of proliferation of the written stuff until the Gutenberg press, right? 
but uh, another way that they were told in the ancient world was that the the stories were told in the festivals that were were the 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 great celebrations that they had uh, at cyclical times during the year. This these stories would be retold. So um, anyway, so we've been kind of talking about love stories, but what I was originally getting at is that in modern movies, especially, you have even if you've got a thriller or a, or a mystery or a, a comedy or whatever, or a, a drama, you know, whatever type of a genre you think it is, a sci-fi, generally there, it either ends either in a tragedy or usually as a comedy ends, which is a, in a happy way. And what, what, whatever the, the subject matter is, you'll, you would often have a love story. So it didn't have to be the epic. It didn't have to be that the movie was Romeo and Juliet or Helen of Troy or whatever. It was a. It would contain as part of the hero's journey, coming of age. There would be a, a love interest, and there would be a winning of the. You know, there'd be some character development, mm-hmm. which is what was absent in Star Wars, the later Star Wars. Uh, which there's is also just right no, out gone. There's no um, love interest. That's right. That's my point. Is what makes a great story is that you have the love interest. You can't have Ray, an independent, powerful woman, falling in love. The, what 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 makes what makes Hunger Hunger Games so great? The, co- You've the got costumes. The costumes. <laughs> the fact that it mirrors modern society so <laughs> so specifically. No, one of the things that makes it great is that uh, you know Katniss. She's having a difficult time and she needs some support. Right. She's got to have her other half, and you think it's going to be. The one guy, mm-hmm. it ends up being the other guy. I forget sure. their names. You've got um, Peta and uh, Gail. You've got that um, sometimes a little superficially, I mean, to the point where now there is a character known as Bond Girls, <laughs> right? Yeah, but James but, Bond uh, was never about that epic love story. Right, that's, where it's that, that's sort of an inversion of the correct love story or the, pro, you know, it's just, but but again, those movies all have that love interest. Mission Impossible. Oh, we Tom forgot Cruise. one of the great the great epics, The Princess Bride. Right. That's a great love story. Yeah, that is it. That is. Yeah. And that love story is front and center. Yeah. Of the the whole film and uh, all the other sort of tropes and archetypes take yeah. a take a backseat to that. Right. The original Star Wars episodes four through six were interesting because there was the triangle between Luke, mm-hmm. Han, and uh, Leia. Right. Which is great. You've got that, that it's great. It's great for drama. It's great for the storytelling. And they had to figure out who's who they had to know themselves to find out that really Leia should go for Han and not Luke because they're brother and sister. Right. But that's why they care so much about each other, you know? Yeah. Well, storytelling, I mean, there's good stories out there. There's still a lot of good books being written. Brandon Sanderson's writing some really cool stuff and he pumps out the, the books. I mean, just pumps them out. He's, it's impressive his uh his um what's the word I'm searching for here his uh <laughs> his bike <laughs> are you searching for a noun an adjective uh, a verb I, I don't even know his... now he's prolific that's what I was looking okay. for he he just writes and finishes these books I don't think they're all his hits. prolificity they're not all hits but uh 
they're good and they're good themes. Yeah, what, what is it that he writes? He writes this kind of fantasy stuff. So what, he, what's one of the big series that he writes? Um, the big one, I think, is this is the Stormlight Archive. But okay, he's you've also, mentioned this before. I haven't. He has something called the Cosmere, and so all these stories take place under this umbrella of the same universe. But the, he he's yet to sort of tie them all together. Okay. But um, another good one is Mistborn. Um, then he's got a, a bunch of standalone novels that take place in this world. And, and he's a BYU guy? Yeah. And lives somewhere. Nothing good ever this... came out of the BYU. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know if he's a product of BYU or he just happened to go there and he would have been a great writer regardless. <laughs> but he, he's a good storyteller. He's, he's, um, <clears throat> these are investments. You're going to spend some time with these thousand-page novels <laughs> if you get into them. So, but he's telling big stories. He he um he finished. So when um man, there's the there's the big like sixteen book series, the Wheel of Time series, and the author of that who was Robert Jordan, I believe, died before they finished. And Brandon Sanderson was asked to finish those novels, you know, using Robert Jordan's notes and pre-writes and the things like that. Okay. So that's how it's linked to Wheel of Time. I was wondering about that. Anyway, there are good stories being told and there are some good movies out there being made. Did you, a lot of them from books. Did you watch the Wheel of Time stuff on Amazon? I tried. Is that not in line with the Robert Jordan stuff? I, I've only read like the first three or four books. But I, I just, I, I don't, I don't, I couldn't get into the TV series. I, mm. I just, I didn't find the characters compelling. I didn't find the acting very good. I didn't find the set design. I just don't think they were very good. Mm. Maybe I missed something. Maybe I need to stick with it. I watched the first season. <coughs> it, it was kind of interesting. It looked like a big f- uh, feminist sort of a. <clears throat> Yeah, it seemed like it seemed like love fest. It seemed like they sort of shifted the emphasis onto the women in the stories rather than, you know, in the main stories that I remember, Rand was the main character. Mm-hmm. And he seemed sort of. Anyway, I I didn't, I didn't get into it. I didn't really get it. I tried to get into those books. There's just so many of them, and I was like, yeah. well, I don't want to read. I'm not going to read twenty of these. Well, it's hard to find the time many. to do all this stuff. So, but you don't you don't have to make a huge investment to get a good story to get a good no you can love story or you, or you could tell a great story hero's journey whatever you can tell a great story in five thousand words. A lot of times, though, the coming of age stuff involves this love, right? This yeah, because that's something everyone can relate to. Everybody's had that first crush, first love Mm -hmm. kind of thing when you're, especially when you're young. Well, it's also part of why we're here is to model uh, our eternal essence, our eternal prototypes, Mm -hmm. which is our father and our mother. Did you know that um, the, you know what it means to enter into the holy order of matrimony? Ever mentioned this on the podcast? I don't know. Do you know what matrimony means? Well, I know we use it as a, to mean marriage. Right. I don't know if that's the 
So mater, mater in Greek and Latin is mother. Right. Pater is father. So you have patriarchy, matriarchy. Mm -hmm. So that should tip us off as to what matrimony means. Matrimony and patrimony means uh, motherhood and fatherhood. So if you entered into the order of matrimony as a man, you entered into the order of motherhood. It's an order. It's Mm -hmm. a, it's a, it's a, what would you call it? It's it's an uh, an order, a uh, a group, uh, mm-hmm. a, a state of being, motherhood. Right. It's it's funny because if you're LDS, you have certain people telling us what the words mean, and they'll they'll make these arguments that, for example, priesthood means something. Right. I was taught that that meant that if you if you were uh, part of the priesthood which is the correct way to say it, that the, that the priesthood was the power to act in the name of God. But that's not what the word means. It's like the word neighborhood, right? Neighborhood is the state of being a neighbor. Mm-hmm. And that's what the hood means etymologically. It comes from the Old English, H-A-E-D, meaning state of being, right? So to be priesthood is the state of being a priest. To be married is the state of being involved in motherhood, which right. I think is a little bit strange that the men enter into the order of matrimony. Hmm. And that's, anyway, I just bring that up because this ordinance of marriage, we, these are ceremonial things we do to commemorate the, and have always done since the beginning of time until I guess recently, <laughs> where you just stand in front of a judge or whatever you do to get married. I mean, this is that's what the whole that's that's the whole problem with the whole gay marriage thing, right? Right. Like, like the words don't mean anything. Our language literally is being corrupted right in front of our faces. Right. And and so you would you would go through in all in all societies throughout history, you go through a ceremony to commemorate that the two, the man and the woman, the the husband and the wife. Wife comes from Old English meaning woman. And husband is the is Norse, meaning the man in the house, or the man in the the temple. Right? He's he's been incarnated. He's been put into a body. He's the man of the house, and they join together in the holy order of motherhood, matrimony. The sacred it's supposed to be a sacred order, right? And uh, the point is that this is commemorating or or pointing to the relationship between our great father and mother. There it is. There she is. There she is in your religion. If you can't talk about her, there she is. <laughs> well, plenty of movies, as we've explored over the course of this podcast, plenty of movies touch on that theme. Plenty of them end when, with marriages. Forrest Gump, right? Yeah. It ends at the end. They get married. Um, well, they get not at the end. In the end of Forrest Gump, she dies and he's left alone, man, in the wilderness. That's a long movie. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, a lot of movies end with, uh, in, in fact, they... Towards the end. They, they, have, the, they have the culminating event of marriage and then, you know, the credits roll over people dancing at the reception yeah. and things like that. One, What's the one with uh, Will Smith and Kevin James where they're 
Oh yeah, dan- um, is that Hitch? Hitch, yeah. They're dancing. The, you know, the credits are rolling, but everybody stays in the theater and watches because they're dancing Isn't at the sh- reception. Doesn't Shrek end that way? Yep, Shrek ends that way with them singing at the wedding. Yeah, um, you know, lots and lots of movies, especially the rom com. Yeah, know, genre romantic comedies end yeah. that way. At least they used to. Maybe nowadays it's so unfashionable to get married that they don't end that way. But but more and more, you know. But th- that's a huge theme, right? You meet someone, you fall in love, and you dedicate your life to that person, and then they you connect, celebrate with a a marriage, and everybody comes together, and both sides of the families and friends and everybody, and they you have a ritual celebration. Grumpy old men that ends that way, doesn't it? <laughs> that was a good movie. <laughs> yeah, that was a, that's a little uh, diamond in the rough. Yeah. Well. Oh, interesting we, we, stuff. I, I think we definitely, I mean, I, I, I remember the days where summer, we're in summer right now, there were summer blockbusters and everybody couldn't wait for such and such movie to come out. We don't get that as much anymore. I mean, Top Gun Maverick's probably an exception. No, we have a lot, of, a lot of media to consume. There's a lot more than there used to be when we were kids. <clears throat> right, and now you've got your summer blockbusters now, some of them might be in the movie theaters, but a lot of them are on the streaming services, like Stranger Things. It's only on Netflix. You know, it the broke net- the internet, didn't it? It broke Netflix. It broke Netflix, which is pretty, and, pretty and then, big. And, and nowadays, it's, it's, it's sort of ridiculous, like even <laughs> Daily Wire Plus, right? You have CNN Plus, which famously failed. failed. Miserably. Every, you got Paramount's got their own, Amazon, Apple, uh, NBC, they've all got their own subscription services, which if you subscribe to several of them or all of them, you're going to spending way more than you used to on a cable package, which is the whole reason you cut the cable package out of your life anyway, because you're spending too much money and you could get great content for 15 bucks a month from Netflix. Yeah. Or just with your Amazon Prime account. <laughs> right. So it's sort of, I think the, uh, the entertainment delivery systems are probably going through a transition, a, a phase right now where it's like figuring out what are people willing to pay for? How much are they willing to well, pay for? Well, not only for? that, we're just going through a phase as a society here. It, it, clearly, clearly, if you want to make money in, in movies, you need to have a good story and you need to tell uh, an archetypal story, well, I think. And that's where Hollywood is. And they're getting woke and going broke. And so that demonstrates that the point was not to make money. The point is they are trying to change society. They're trying to right. wreck wreck our society. And, and when our society is disconnected from the reality of our archetypal heritage, poof, that that does not yeah. go well. That's massive yeah. captivity, slavery, death, destruction, entropy, whatever you want to call it. That's sick. You know, That's you look, hell on you, earth. You look at the highest grossing films of all time, and, and there's a few different lists depending on how you oh, measure yeah. that. Oh, yeah, Titanic, we forgot. But they're all great Avatar, epic stories. Now, Avatar, I think, is a trash story. I think, I think that's just a... You still have the love story. Right. Now, they did a great job of... You're talking about Blue Avatar? Yeah. Because another love story that's a great story is the Airbender Avatar. Yeah, and I've not seen Airbender, the the original like animated series, not the movie. The The Korra one is an inversion. It's it's messed up. But the one with Aang... And uh, Avengers is high on that grossing list. It's a great epic. Like you've pointed out, it's an inversion. But my point here is that that the the big stories that we all love to talk about, the big movies are okay. these big epic tales with eternal like long lasting 
elements of storytelling. And that's why we still talk about the Odyssey and the Iliad and Okay, so you you got you got me at the Avatar being a trash story. Though, are you just seeing that as the Native American I'm, versus what I, the I, I white shouldn't man? say trash story, but they they tell it in a crappy woke kind of SJW simplistic way, where the white man's bad, the Native man's good. Like, come on, and, and we and there's other iterations of this out there. Like, you're telling me that this society with the the blue people i don't remember what they were called the navi which the navi the, the, the names in that show they they're like they didn't even try okay? unobtainium the navi unobtainium so they're naive huh they're innocent yeah unobtainium come on that's a placeholder name and they just went with it but you have this tree of life type thing but do you think james cameron who brought us terminator was really trying to be that obvious or is there something deeper i, I don't know there's something deeper let me tell you about this okay so well, hold on okay hold on. trash story, you, you have this you have this tree of life right that's so important and sacred to the navi right right and you have a certain tribe that gets to live right there and then you have these other tribes <clears throat> that live out in the world you don't really get to see until they all come together and you're telling me that this valuable place was the other tribes never tried to fight over that and they never went to war over these valuable resources and land no they they had uh, they destroyed the tree that the navi lived at and yeah, they the all, white, they the all had to come together did. to the sacred what i'm talking about is before then you're telling me that the, these tribes never warred over anything yeah but that wasn't the main tree they never fought it. That wasn't they, the they tree made, of life. Don't, I, don't they make a big point out of saying these guys never knew war until the white man with his coffee mugs showed up? Because that's we do this. We do this in so. our own history with with Native so. American tribes. We act like they were these idyllic, peaceable people. They were they were brutal warriors. They were brutal warriors, and they fought brutal wars with each other. Okay, well, this is the... And, and, and that's, I'm not, that's just how it is. People fight. People war with another tribes, mm -hmm. fight with other tribes. And to try to make it sound like that doesn't exist is silly. And then the white man shows up, and it's so stereotypical. They're all greedy, angry, mm -hmm. warmongering. I mean, they have the... There's a scene in there with these redneck guys blasting off their weapons, and it's just like, mm -hmm. come on. That's just... It's, you can tell the same story, but actually have characters with some character and some nuance and some motivation that goes deeper than just stereotypical white man, rich man, capitalistic greed. Okay. I think Dances with Wolves does a much better job of telling that story in a nuanced way. It's Dances still the, with Wolves is epic. It's still the same story, this whole like, oh, the native's good, white man bad, which I don't necessarily agree with. I don't think any, there's good or bad okay. inherent in any of this, but they tell it in a different, at least somewhat nuanced way where you understand it all. But then again, when the Union Army shows up, I guess by then it was the United States Army, shows up at the end of the movie, <clears throat> the stereotypes all flare up where it's like, oh, look at you, 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 you an engine, did you? And it's like, and then they just start shooting everybody. It's like, come on. So the white men are bad at that point. Yeah. Well, look, yeah, I get that there's, there's a lot of that in statist left Hollywood, whatever, where we want to 
destroy our Western classical heritage. I get that. So that that uh, there's also in the Avengers material, you have this idea that Thanos is just interested in population control. He's mm-hmm. a He's a eugenicist in that sense. He wants to decide who lives and dies, and that's the extent of the allegory, right? Mm -hmm. That he's going to snap his fingers and get rid of half of the cosmos or half of the people on Earth or whatever. Okay, so what I want to do is look past that in Avatar, and I I think our first big tip-off is the name of it is Avatar. Mm -hmm. He literally goes from one body... To a different body. Right. So that is essentially, allegorically, that type of um, structure is you coming from a spirit realm into a physical realm. Right. So that's the... Now, I know it doesn't play out exactly that way, like, because you have the war between the the humans and the Na'vi uh, play out, and they've got to wear their space suits because the atmosphere's not Mm -hmm. right or whatever. But, But the point is, he goes... He and the uh, and several other people essentially descend or or go into this new world and they take on new bodies. So I think that's a significant element. No, that's it's so, there, there's some good stuff in there for sure. So in a way, you have um, the Watchers, who are the the white men, mm-hmm. the Earthlings, and then you have the the people, the real people. I don't want to call them the real people, the innocents. The people who are not the evil ones, because remember in the meta, in the in the narrative of the cosmos, the one that's told in the in all the Titanomachies, cosmogonies. Um, these are the stories about the wars in heaven and the the birth of the cosmos and whatever. You have a world that has fallen, and it, or, there's a war, and then the world has fallen, and you have. Um, the abject evil, the, mm-hmm. uh, the unseen or the separate evil, the evil that's separate from you. So that's who the white men represent here. They represent the fallen watchers. And some people came, came and became incarnated here while they're being attacked or harassed by this otherworldly force. In the Avengers, the otherworldly force is Thanos' minions and Thanos, mm-hmm. right? So they're, but, but, in, but really, since it's inverted, he's really, he, he clearly is a Jesus Christ figure because he goes through the, the six days of creation and rests and everything represented by the Infinity Stones. And so he goes through progression, and, and his heavenly hosts would represent not the fallen watchers, but the hosts of heaven that come to destroy the earth. And they talk about that, coming to burn the earth. This, rep, this relates directly to... Uh, that verse in Malachi that says, the day is coming that shall burn as an oven. Those that are coming shall burn them up and leave them neither root nor branch. That's the way Joseph Smith said that the angel quoted it to him in Joseph Smith history. So so anyway, you see that there's these di- these different types of groups that you, you can identify. And so I've, I'm, I want to say, in, in my understanding of this, if there is a deeper level, that in Avatar, that the white men or the, uh, the cowboys or the... Uh, the earthlings, whatever, they're the, they're the watching angels that have come to settle a new world mm-hmm. and that there are, they incarnate, some of them incarnate, and the people in the world are the innocents that they're watching over and exploiting. Kind of like in the Matrix, it's the, the unseen world, the robots that are, um, not really robots, the machine, the artificial intelligences, they're the ones that are exploiting the humans here. So the same thing's happening in that way, but we but we have a very real incarnation because um, Sully, I think, is his name, right? 
takes on an avatar. That and he sounds beca- right. And he becomes... Well, in the end, he... Uh, yeah, he does become that avatar, right? They yeah, cut him off and, and through the tree of life, he right. he's able to stay as that avatar. Well, they have they have the tree of life, they have this interconnected world, they so that so they've rather than showing that be the totality of the cosmos, cosmos here again you have that inverted and it's all right. in the fallen world. It's all about the fallen world, which is the one he had to incarnate into that's under attack. And um so, so you see all. I don't. I'm not saying that James Cameron really knew what he was doing here, but you see the same. Yeah, for sure. Ideas expressed, and uh, the tree of life is a huge tip off, and the fact that he becomes fused into the avatar body um, shows it as sort of an inversion. Because if you're a kid watching this, you want to be an avatar. You want right. to be. You want to be one of the Navi because they have the cool bodies. They can fly on the, or they they can right fuse with their creation. They can fuse with the animals or connect with them through their little dangly and the re- ponytails. The reason I say trash story is because they this the narrative component I think is lazy and yeah, all that symbolism is there. I think one good measure of a whether or not a story is good, especially these big epics, is do people relate to and kind of even root for at times the villain? And and in Avatar, it's like the, it's so obvious who the villain is, and it's so over the top. But like Star Wars, you know, kids love Darth Vader. Why? You know, and uh, Thanos. People like Thanos because he's charismatic and interesting. And well, that Than- Thanos is in a, in his own category there because he he is the guy that progresses. He's the one right. that sticks to the plan. He is he's never deterred. <clears throat> he's very much a but an admirable character. Good Darth Vader's a little scary, I think. Yeah, he is. But but good villains, people will understand at, le- at least acknowledge. Like, okay, I understand where he's coming. Well, from. I think they'll Dar- relate think to a Vader, good villain. Vader in the first in the original Star Wars 4 through 6, is uh, aloof enough that you can have that kind of respect right. for... In the, in the later series, like I was watching Obi-Wan. Did you happen to see that? I haven't. It, they play him up to be pretty um, mad, you know, and, and mm-hmm. Anakin leading up to that in right. the first series. He's a likable character, Anakin is, but then he becomes... Right. Uh, fueled by rage, as opposed to this this sort of cold, cool, logical guy right. that you see in the first original four through six. Right. So, yeah, but yeah, writing a good villain's hard because it's so it's just too easy to go and writing a good hero because it's too easy to go black hat, white hat, right? Twirling yeah. mustache. But, but you also you also have to have a good villain to have a good story, and absolutely. So, that's I think why Harry Potter is so great is that uh, Voldemort is an incredible villain. He is relatable in that right. he's, he he once was a kid, but he's become the epitome of evil. Right. He's become the ultimate evil. But, but as the Death Lord, J.K. Rowling does a great job of explaining how that happened and why it happened and what Tom Riddle went through as a kid and as yeah. a young adult and and how basically it's the same. A lot. It's real similar to what Harry Potter went through, and that's what's amazing the, the is divergent the, paths that those yeah. characters take. She links them together very very early on. He, right. Both of them think they might be the heir of Slytherin, right. and uh, it turns out we find out who that is. And Harry, he has greater things afoot uh, in his life. He has a greater path to follow. The, the Harry Potter allegory is probably the great hermetic allegory of our time. 
we need to, we really need to do like a series of episodes on Harry Potter because I don't think we could do it in one episode. No, we'd have to go book by book. Yeah, and that would be, but we'd have some time because I would need to to rewrite it or reread it with some notes and things. Yeah, but we would need to lay out uh, the Jordan Bruno cosmology. Which I think is the, well, that's a four episode endeavor. That is a, that's a long itself. that's a long one. But we would need to lay that out. It would kind of have to be like a classroom environment. We need to lay that out. And I think that's it's not my cosmology. I would I would attribute it to Joseph Smith and Hugh Nibley, and uh, some and Dante. You know, Egyptian religion. Mm-hmm. You know, but we we can we can excuse ourselves. We can allow ourselves to go there. I mean, Joseph Smith went to Egypt metaphorically. Mm-hmm speaking or figuratively speaking with the hypocephalus or the facsimiles one, two, and three in the book of Abraham. Well, and Nibley went there literally to better understand yeah, Joseph. And, and yeah, and and so uh and Nibley Nibley Nibley's the guy yeah, Nibley's the guy that kind of cobbles this all together and he never really says it outright because he was writing at BYU or not really writing, he was teaching at BYU. People don't realize that his books aren't really books that he wrote. There are a couple of books that he wrote but most of the material that you have on Hugh Nibley is just his students having put together all of his essays right. and speeches and whatnot in uh, topic, uh, similar topics uh, by category into these books, and they're and they're incredible. So it's it's kind of hard to um, to go through it all and kind of get the the overall picture. But I th- I th- I think that uh, so that's why I would call it my version of that or my understanding of that. I would lay it out and and tell you what I think we're seeing as we look at Joseph Smith's lens on the ancient works, because you can, you can look at the, the scriptures. It, it, this, this whole discussion starts with the history of scripture. You have to ask yourself, what is scripture? See, we want to say that myth is different than scripture, that for some reason our canonical works are true, but the Greek myths are not. And, but, but that's what the word mythos means. It means word. It is the word. It's like similar to logos, but it's not, it's not quite the same. Logos means also word or teaching or whatever. Mm-hmm. The, the famous usage of the word logos is in John chapter 1, where he says, enarche uh, ho logos. So in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Mm-hmm. So that's... Uh, but that that's uh, why Jesus gets considered the word, but gets considered to be the word. But but the Greek mythos uh, is also considered to be the word of God, and these are the these are the true stories. It's their scriptures, is what I'm saying. So one man's one man's myth is another man's scripture, and it turns out when you really look at the history of the Old Testament, a lot of that is what we in the modern world would consider myth or legend. And, and Hugh Nibley is very frank about that. In the third chapter of the book, Enoch the Prophet, he says it. He says the, the, the garden story and the, the flood story, that they have done more damage to Christianity than any other. <laughs> These are the basis, the bases of Christianity are the garden and the flood stories. And he says that they're nursery tales. He says that they ought to be understood metaphorically, and that they're, they're nursery tales told to children, and that as we become adults, we need to expand our minds beyond that. Mm-hmm. And so th- that's where our jumping off point is, as we get into, well, what is Scripture? And that is, of course, narrative, which is what we've been talking about, narrative that is supposed to illuminate the actual reality for us, help us to figure out where we are and who we are, and what in the hell 
we are doing here and where are we? Right. 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 So what, what is this hellish world that we're in? Is it hell or is it, you know, is it, uh, just a test? It's Um, Iowa. It's Iowa. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I love that one. Well, the, yeah, the great, the great myths of our time and all time all come down to almost all come down to the same thing. And that is the answers or ways to answer the, those questions. Who are we and what are we doing here? And how do we get out of this? How do we get out of this hellish dome that we're trapped under? And like Truman, you got to sail the seas and bust through the, the limits. You have to confront the storm and the creator, which is, it turns out, the false creator. Right. It's, uh, yeah. Yeah, and the the great myth, the great myths, the great stories, the great movies, books. Songs. Well, I would have a lot of fun doing that, but I don't know that uh, I don't know that our listeners would want to go through it. I'm not sure if you would want to listen to me monologuing very much. Well, what we have the, to do is we need to create a uh, a Patreon so people can pay us to do these things. <laughs> all the all the big podcasts are doing that now. Also, what I think we should maybe do is like a, oh, you're new here page on the, on the website and we can maybe grab, start here and grab check out, ten, 10 episodes. Check out these episodes. They yeah. give you some good I, I run into a few people that are like, oh, I'm so far behind and I, I'll never catch up. And it's like, well, we don't. Is the, it cumulative? I'm like, you can just pick it up and put it down wherever you want. We, yeah, we were, we'll reference a few episodes. We've got, a, we've got a few episodes that I think give some good context, but a lot of times we're just ranting and raving about Vaccine mandates, yeah, gun and, laws, and I think and readers or false li- statements listeners made in the Gettysburg will, Address. <laughs> listeners will have to to chime in here. And, and do you guys want to see more of that kind of current event reactions type stuff, or more like get, you're getting into stuff like we've talked about today? If we did a series on Harry Potter, we could go seven weeks because there's see seven right but i can't go through seven levels of of teaching it'd be seven weeks but i i um it couldn't be seven consecutive because it would take me longer than a week to go through each book oh you want to read the books concurrently i would would have to go back to the books again i I would rather like right on the tip of your brain it's been a while since i've read them i've read them a couple of times they're very excellent very very excellent material but i I would want to you what I would, Rolling what, and your crew, whoever that was. what I envision is going out and buying a fresh set of paperbacks of the whole series that I can mark up. Oh, you're going to mark them up like they were scriptures? No, just making notes. Well, what's the difference? <laughs> what I ask you is the difference. Nothing. There's okay. no difference. There's you mark stuff that you what, want to go what, back the to. Point and is, the point is that some group somewhere said that your canonized works were the thing. Right. But then this other thing wasn't, right? Right. It, well, I think, that, I think that series could be a lot of fun for us. Like, who cares what the listeners think? We well, would have fun. Well, I think, <laughs> I think all scripture, all, everything you think is scripture and everything you think isn't should all be measured by the same uh, test or benchmark, which is found in the Doctrine and Covenants. I think it's section 92, where he tells Joseph how to handle the Apocrypha. And he says, there's many truths in there. You just need to be guided by the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. Well, isn't that the same for the, the Bible, which 
we believe as far as it's been translated correctly. Right. And that the Book of Mormon really doesn't have anything good to say about the Bible. Right. And isn't that the same way you should interpret the Book of Mormon and the Doctrine and Covenants? And, you know, is you need to have the Holy Spirit, the the light energy, the fire from heaven, that external force that I was talking about animates you so that you can put off your natural man. It's a dumb question. Okay. Jordan. Dumb question. <laughs> that was pretty good. Oh. oh, boy. There was an episode a couple of weeks back called Dumb Questions, if you're interested. Dumb question. Well, we probably should wrap this That's one up. That's a good up. spot to end. <laughs> but uh, thanks, Wish, everybody. Let's just do Harry Potter now. Let's do it. Let's go for the next seven hours. You're going to have to change the batteries <laughs> once. No. We still, I, I like we, Harry Potter. We still owe everybody a Stranger Things uh, deep dive. Maybe we can do that. Maybe we can start that next week. So, uh, do we want to spoil it for people that haven't seen it? We've been giving them warnings. I guess we just give you the spoiler warning right at the start. Don't listen to this episode if you haven't seen And we're telling you Stranger now, Things. we're going to talk about Stranger Things soon. Yes, there's going to be spoilers, so go watch it. Go watch the series if you haven't already. If you want to listen to that, having seen it or you know, without it's, having it's it very entertaining. It's very, very much holds your attention. They did a great job. In fact, I heard from uh, my brother. I think told me he thought that 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 Netflix had strategically f- waited to release these last two episodes so that people wouldn't cancel their memberships and then start back up again. Or, uh, or right, right after Stranger, they weren't. He, they thought that if they if they finished Stranger Things, people would cancel their their memberships and wait till season five came out, because it is the thing that people right. want to see on Netflix. Yeah, and 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 these subscription services do that kind of stuff all the time. They they strategically will space stuff out so that you don't. Yeah, the the, the subscription based video games are famous for this. They're like, oh well, we're the new expansion pack is released on the 15th of November and the new raid that comes with it is going to release on the 18th of December <laughs> conveniently just over a month away you know so you you're going to you know these guys all they know what they're doing they, yeah they know what they're doing but uh stranger things especially for people in our age age group who grew up in the 80s i think they did a great job of capturing the the flavor of the 80s and being a kid in the 80s it's it's excellent storytelling they have great uh special effects they they have good actors and actresses the Uh, the girl that does uh l she's really good at that angst the uh, that role that she's got to play the characters they've done a great job of developing characters that you care about and that's so important they you know star wars the new star wars with ray and everybody we can't even remember their names because we don't care about them yeah, I, I can tell you the names of the Stranger Things people. Right. You got Dustin, who was missing his teeth. <laughs> Dustin's great. Yeah, you've got Michael, who he's always shaking. Right. He's t- and he's yelling when he's talking. You've and got you've L. got Will, William Byers, who Will. was missing for a whole Will. season. Will! You got L. Her name is really Eleven, but L is very convenient mm-hmm. because she represents woman. She's this high wisdom figure that kind of comes into their world. She has right. superpowers. Hopper's a great character. Hopper, yeah. Papa. Joyce, Murray, Murray's awesome. Murray, <laughs> Murray is us. Murray is awesome. Uh, you've got um, oh, I'm forgetting the redheaded girl's name. The redheaded girl's name is one I and her boyfriend. Her those Steve. Yeah. You got Steve. Steve's and a great Steve character. Steve and Billy. Billy's, Billy's sister awesome. is the one. I shouldn't be forgetting her. 
let's just look it up so we can have some completion here. Um, I should know it because she plays a big role in this last season. But um, and what's the music that she's listening to? That's Kate Bush, and that's she's making a big comeback now because that yeah, music yeah. saves her. You're say, seeing that. Uh, no spoilers. You're see, you're seeing that song you got everywhere. Nan, you got Nancy and Jonathan Lucas. Lucas is his name. Sorry, yeah, Lucas, Lu- I forgot your name. Lucas and Max. Mad Max. Max. How could we yeah. forget Mad Max? Max. Her name is Max. Maxine. Um, great characters. Uh, just it's a, and and it, it's a throwback to these old eighties. And Robin. Yeah, Robin's great. You go, it's a throwback to these old eighties cohort movies where you know kind of like goonies where these groups of friends go on these great summer vacation adventures and they keep you know? getting thrown back into or this, stand, these these sta- situations that stand, are difficult stand by me comes to mind you yeah. know or these these this these group of kids get into a pickle and such good storytelling they just do a great job getting everybody involved and and they have th- these different um like sub narratives running through mm. the whole thing uh, you you end up with with Hopper and Joyce and uh, Murray Murray in Russia, <laughs> and you, it's like how did Hopper get to Russia? I, I guess we never really are going to know. Um, you got uh, well, the the kids that end up in California. Yeah. Well, and here again, like I said in the beginning, you have this story about these evil government oligarchy CIA types that are experimenting and kidnapping children and. Mm-hmm. That would never happen, right? Never. Former Utah County attorney David Levitt. That would never happen. It's so absurd that it just debunks itself, right? Tragically mentally ill. Well, tragically mentally ill. We've come full circle, if maybe Mm. not circle. We kind of made a figure eight or something. But so we'll let it. We'll let everybody go. Look, I think this is a fun discussion. I, I am. Yeah, I'm we glad both, we're getting back to the movies. We both the, love movies and stories and narratives control us. Narratives rule us. What are the narratives that dominate your life? That is a good question. I think we all should ask ourselves. What are the narratives that are dominating your life? Safe and effective narratives. If you're, yeah, if you're paying too much attention to the wrong storytellers, and you just brought up one of the storytellers. <laughs> <laughs> then yeah maybe you need to make a time budget like Catherine Austin Fitz recommends and, and limit the amount of time maybe Jordan Bruno well, needs also to make a time budget find the right storytellers find the people telling you true stories stories that are rooted in eternal in the truths. actual reality actual the actual reality and reality because they are out there that's the problem is we, we living in Plato's cave or in the matrix so to speak we are not privy to the actual reality. And so therefore the narratives that we see cast upon the wall by the fire behind us and the shadows, the, the objects that the, this oligarchy is um, parading, we, we're seeing a shadow of the, of, of, of the reality and, and we are therefore prisoners in the cave. If you haven't read Plato's Allegory of the Cave, you can go read it, you can go find a YouTube video that demonstrates a very interesting thought experiment. It is essentially the original matrix and, um, and the modern day movie theater. <laughs> yeah. And it is the modern day movie. And well, it's not just that it's the modern day, um, news, right. Propagation mechanism. The theater though is such a great, it's almost a one-to-one because you go into this dark place 
And oh, yeah. And then the, the, the light, light is cast you. from behind you. Right. Yeah, you're right. It is Plato's cave. And you're, you're not really chained, but you're, you're glued to your seat. You're kind of chained. I, I, I needed to go to the restroom during Maverick, but I... You don't want to go because... I, I didn't want to miss... Because you missed the it, show. You can't pause it. This happens to me at, movie the, at movies when I go to the theater... I always make the mistake of getting a big drink. Yeah, don't then, buy the stuff. And then I have to go to the bathroom right during the climax, and I never want to. So then I, <laughs> I probably damaged my body by holding it. <laughs> you've, you've lessened the experience because you're sitting there. Not only you're anxious for the climax, but you got to go to the bathroom. The movie ends, and I beeline for the one bathroom in the whole place. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, thanks, everybody. We are the Mind Virus podcast find us at mindvirus.show leave comments feedback we love hearing from our listeners and uh, subscribe to us on patreon (laughs) take care everybody goodbye